What kinds of health data breach trends are developing in 2018 now that the year is more than half over? I'm Marianne Kolbesek McGee, Executive Editor of Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with attorney Jim DeGraw, a technology partner in law firm Ropes and Gray's San Francisco office. Jim is co-lead of the firm's Digital Health Initiative. So now, Jim, when we examine the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services HIPAA breach reporting tool website for health data breaches impacting 500 or more individuals, we still see lots of hacker incidents being reported so far this year. But with one or two exceptions, we really haven't been seeing the massive sized hacker breaches that we saw a few years ago, most notably the Anthem cyber attack in 2015 that impacted nearly 79 million individuals. Why do you think that's the case? Marion, I think it depends upon which trend you're looking at, right? Anthem is at the extreme end of very large breaches across industry sectors, just given the business that they're in and the size of that breach. And in fact, you know, if we want to look at it, we can look at some of the breaches last year in the credit monitoring space are equivalent in terms of the size and the potential impact on consumers. And Anthem and those breaches, you know, raised a fair amount of regulatory concern across the board. I think the more interesting trend that we see in this year's data as well as past year data is that the trend continues. We still see data breaches. We still see organizations of all stripes losing data or getting, to your point, hacked, whether it's through internal malfeasance or internal negligence or through attackers on the outside, healthcare organizations still find themselves oftentimes the targets of breaches and are losing data still, and it's leading to, as you see, reports coming out from the website. So now, Jim... Touching upon the Anthem subject, a federal judge in California recently gave final approval to a $115 million settlement involving the health insurer over its 2015 data breach. The settlement is said to be the largest ever recorded for a class action lawsuit filed over a data breach. But most victims in this case will receive no money, rather A settlement fund has been set up to fund two more years of credit monitoring and fraud resolution services for the victims, and about 13% of the fund has been reserved for cash reimbursements for any victims who paid out of pocket for security monitoring services. And then finally, under the settlement, Anthem has also agreed to nearly triple its cybersecurity budget. With that said, what's most significant to you about the Anthem case and the settlement and any trends that have emerged from this whole episode? Well, Anthem and the settlement, as you described, Marianne, underscores several problems that many organizations and even affected consumers have in the data breach context. And I count myself and my family as among those whose records were breached in the Anthem case. You know, credit monitoring itself as an award, frankly, is not that effective, at least in my personal view. The problem is that you still have the ability for people to use potentially the information within those medical records to cause harm. And Brian Krebs and others have pointed out over and over and over again that the better resolution for most consumers who have suffered a data injury would be to have a credit freeze put on their account, which is a little bit more cumbersome at times, but you are seeing the credit reporting agencies show a little bit more flexibility 
in that, and that's a much more effective remedy. But the second piece that shows that there is this harm, there is no easy way to clean up your life if you have been breached and you do have a fair number of out-of-pocket costs that you can incur if your data has been breached. That includes maybe taking a day off, having to go to the police station, file a report, calling up people, and or hiring people to clean up your credit report and close down accounts and other things that have been opened up in your name. It can be a hassle and it's time consuming and it doesn't go away soon because we can't change our social security numbers or healthcare numbers relatively easily. The other thing that I think is pretty interesting, what you said is the tripling of the security budget at Anthem. And being a lawyer, I'm naturally skeptical and the first thing that came to my mind was, gosh, tripling off what? And that's an issue that we see many organizations the size of Anthem and the size of companies you know, much smaller than Anthem. What is the security budget of a company? What does it include? Where is it flowing through? Is it part of the IT budget? Is it part of the risk budget? Is it part of who knows budget compliance? So, and this is a problem that we're seeing across many companies and many folks in the healthcare industry. And you see more and more trends of people begin to think of security as a separate line item and so that people can understand the budget and what's flowing to it to make sure that there's a proper spend analysis there because if it's part of IT, for example, better and faster is usually the thought of most people when it comes to IT, not security, which gets seen in many instances just like lawyers. It's a price I have to pay for something that doesn't give me any advantage, which is not true in either sense, as we see from the end of breach. But, you know, so th these questions come up as a good illustration, but you're right, it's a, it's a significant settlement that I think we'll all be taking a closer look at as time goes on to see what kinds of trends also spin out of it. So now, Jim, we talked a little bit about hacker breaches. What sorts of new or disturbing trends do you see when it comes to health data breaches involving insiders? You have two. One is you continue to have the insider who has some sort of malfeasance. That's never going to go away, right? That's always a threat, and a good information security program has to focus on that as well. The other thing we are seeing, though, and this goes to training programs that people need to have as part of their security program, big uptick on attacks on systems that get past all the guards that you may have, the filters. Very, very sophisticated phishing exercises these days coming from the outside world, focused on obtaining either healthcare information or financial information or payment information, including actually the payment funds. So targeted emails that mimic the cadence of a conversation with someone that's directed to an internal person within a company and maybe will ask for a wire to be transferred funds to be sent or information about someone, and it's just a simple email. It doesn't have a payload that can get caught by a heuristic tool. It could sound like the person it's coming from. Those types of sophisticated attacks are on the uptick, and we're seeing those more and more, and those are quite scary because the problem is, is that a person who receives it may want to do the right thing and fulfill the request. And in these days, in this environment, people need to really be quite perceptive in how they address these things, Jesuitical in their approach, and say, hang on a second, is this the right thing? Is this something that makes sense? They should question anything that doesn't make sense and make sure and verify out of the ordinary request these days because we're seeing a big uptick in that. So now, Jim, you work closely with hospitals and other healthcare organizations for data incident crisis management, counseling, investigations into potential data breaches. What are the most common and most worrisome mistakes that you see healthcare entities making in their security programs that are leading to some of these incidents that we see? And what are some of the mistakes they make after the breach has occurred? So 
going into it these days, and we're seeing many companies are still not quite, or and especially you know, healthcare institutions, not quite thinking about information, the information that flows through their systems in a strategic sense. And that goes all the way to the governance of the institution. What is the board thinking about data and the risk that data provide? One of the problems, especially in the healthcare space, is HIPAA and high-tech are very much paper process and compliance oriented. And many institutions think about it from the perspective of, gosh, if I'm HIPAA compliant, if I'm high-tech compliant, if I'm checking my boxes, I'm okay. And the answer is that not necessarily so. Is somebody stepping all the way back and saying, what is the risk of having disparate systems talking to each other? Have I secured everything correctly within our, my institution? Or if I'm designing products to be sent into an institution, am I thinking about all the interchanges that that product is going to make to different networking systems or other products or users? And how secure is it being developed all the way through. So this begins to kind of shift the conversation away from a compliance orientation to thinking about things from an enterprise risk orientation. And it's a lot of big words, but the more you can get an institution to focus on it as an institutional risk issue, the better off you are because the attacks take different forms. So a simple you know, ransomware attack, as we've seen with some healthcare institutions, have brought them to their knees right, because the way the system was designed and the security wasn't necessarily built in in a design in depth or a security in depth fashion to allow a ransomware attack to spread across the system and to bring it from the system or the hospital system to a halt. That should be part of your enterprise risk management, that kind of outage, as would, you know, an outage that led to a big blackout that led your hospital not to be coming online as well. So we're seeing that mistake continue to be made from time to time, and the more folks think about these issues as potential enterprise risk as opposed to just an IT risk or a HIPAA risk, the better off they are and the more strategic they are about thinking about these things. So, Jim, with that said, are there any sort of technology-oriented mistakes that you see healthcare entities making? Or by the same token, are there promising technologies that you think would be helpful to be reevaluated, especially as they're taking this sort of enterprise approach as opposed to just kind of clicking the HIPAA compliance boxes? Two things, right? One is you can have the most gee whiz, amazing technology installed at your institution. But if nobody knows how to configure it coming out of the box, you might as well have bought a boat anchor. And we do see that from time to time. And that actually scares us to no end, is that you may have technology that has the ability to be robustly deployed and used in a proper fashion to serve as a defense mechanism, but it's just not there. And it's, sometimes it's negligence, sometimes it's a lack of competence in using the tools and using the facilities, and that gets to ultimately a spend issue again. And if you understand the spend issue, you can answer the question for yourself, is, is this an institution that's of a size that we should have a chief security officer on staff and not rely on outside vendors, for example, to provide some security consulting services? And kind of hard to look at it from a technology perspective because there is great technology there, but the question is, is it being deployed in the right way is still a fundamental one that people need to consider. And doing things from a governance perspective, such as a chief security officer, in addition to a chief privacy officer, and to have people think about these things from a risk perspective is the better approach as opposed to just looking for a new gee whiz technological solution. Thanks, Jim. I've been speaking to attorney Jim DeGraw. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. 
Thanks for listening.